A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And tonight's Malava Malka episode is a little bit of a story about bells, the rebirth of the great kingdom of bells in Eretz Yisrael following the war. And it's really a, a story of miracles and a story of change, of innovation. Miracle because there's no reason... Um, there's no rational reason why after the destruction that they experienced uh, during the war and and the uh, decimation, there's no reason that they should be here altogether. And so it's a miracle. And the change, because um, bells of today is fundamentally different than what the bells Hasidus was in Europe prior to the war. So hopefully we'll touch on both aspects in this episode and perhaps... They're intertwined in the fact that the the change um, enabled or at least uh, injected a certain energy into the rebirth and the uh, rebuilding. Um, you know, the Bells, the town, uh, today it's, it's in those days it was in Poland, um, today it's in the Ukraine, right across the border, and the little tiny shtetl, and it has the distinction of of uh, being the host to the Hasidus probably for more years than any other dynasty that I know of, um, which which gives it a certain identity, you know, didn't move around much. The only other possible contender for that title is maybe Karlin, but even the Karlin dynasty, is they had some breaks in there in between and for a lot of its history, it was in Stalin. For a little bit of its history, it was in Karlin, which is a suburb. It's nearby, but um, I'm not. I'm not sure if if they they were there, you know, with the same consistency that Bells was. Maybe Chernobyl also, but also not really. It really branched out that much. So really, Bells is unique in the fact that it was in one place for so many years. The Sar Shalom, uh, Rav Shalom Rekeach, the founder of the dynasty, a student of the Chayza of Lublin becomes the Rav, and, you know, the Belzer Rabbis were always the Rav of the town. They were known as the Ruv, and um, the Rabbi of the town. And in addition to that, they were also the Belzer Rabbis. So the, 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 the Sar Shalom 
comes there in 1817. And besides for a short break during World War I and a disastrous stint in Munkach, and they also were in a couple other towns until they returned home to Bells. Besides for that little, uh, little break there, they were in Bells for over 120 years till the outbreak of the war. So that's, that, that gives it a certain, uh, you know, settling feel for the Hasidus and the influence of the, of it. And the style of the, what the Hasidus was known for uh, before the war was a, a interesting story. There was a, there was a fellow named Rabitzchak Nachum of Shpikov, which was a Chernobyl branch that married the daughter of the Rebbe Rabbi Sacher Daif of Bels. And Professor David Asaf has a whole write-up about this uh, letter that this Rabbi Nachum of Shpikov wrote right before his wedding about different misgivings he had. And I want to get into the whole story of that now, but he gives a very vivid description of what Bells looked like and what its reputation was in the Hasidus of Eastern Europe at the time. And one of the things he says is there is that uh, 10 kabin, 10 measures of fanaticism, that's what he calls it, uh, came down to the world and Bells took nine. And that's, uh, that's the way he described it. But in essence, what he was saying is that, is that what well, was something that was pretty well known is that Bells was a very conservative, very anti-modern, very extreme Hasidus, perhaps the most extreme in outlook in its anti-modernity. The Satmarov very often would say how much he was influenced in many of his views by the Rebbe Rabbi Sacher Daiv. Um, Nachum was later the Rav in Ravarushka, which is a town near Bells. He was killed along with most of the Rebbe's family and Hasidim by... Uh, by the Nazis. Um, so Bells was a very anti-modern. It was anti-Gurish Yisrael, for instance. Um, they're anti-everything, basically. In a certain way, they did have a a sense of um, both of, of leadership and of of, uh, of organizational skills, and even even to a certain sense of modern-looking organizational skills in the 19th century under the Rebbe of Yeshua, Rebbe who together with the Krakow rabbi Reb Shimon Seifer, the Sinach Sam Seifer, they founded the first Orthodox political party, the Machziki Hadas, in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And the reason it had to start in Galicia was because in the Russian Empire the Jews did not have equal rights and they couldn't have organized a political party even if they had wanted to. So it was definitely going to be in Galicia. But the fact is, is that the Bells was the one who did it. Um, so that's that's another angle to it that they had even then with all their conservatism, um, which is also something to keep in mind. Now, on the other hand, in, in for sure in Eastern Galicia, uh, they were one of the largest, the most prominent Hasiduses. They were one of the most influential, and they had a very large reach, large numbers, and they were a very important part of Hasidic life in pre-war Poland. What happens is is that they're completely wiped out during the war. That area is hard hit. The Bells lies right near the um, Belgians' uh, death camp, and um, and the whole area and um, the Rebbe's the Rebbe of Arla, his his entire family is wiped out. His children, his nephews and brothers and siblings and all his Hasidim are gone. He himself 
survives with his younger brother, Ramat Chav Bilgarai, and we uh, covered in another episode, an earlier episode, about their being in Hungary and their leaving Hungary and the speech that Ramat Chav Bilgarai gave for the Rebbe that was covered in another Jewish History Soundbites episode, so you should look that up. So they, what happens is, is that bereft of anything that they had before, they arrive in Eretz Yisrael um, in uh, 19, 1944. And the, there's almost nothing left of it. Not only that, but the this is a Hasidus that died twice. Not only did they die during the war, but they didn't quite succeed in rebuilding by the time the Rebbe Rabarla, by the time he passed away in 1957, there wasn't much left of the Hasidus even then. There was an attempt at rebuilding, and the seeds were planted, but there was almost nothing to speak of. And then the great Rebbe dies in 1957. So what's going to be now? Well, most Hasidus, as we speak about how they, that, that at 1945, it was recognized that they were decimated and they would no longer be rebuilt. And Bell's, that was not recognized in 1945 because here the Rebbe did survive. Most of these other groups, the Rebbe did not survive. So here there's a hope that he would be able to rebuild it. And here, the, the ending, what seemed to be the ending of the Hasidus happened much later, happened in 1957 when the Rebbe passed on. And it seems that there would be no continuation. So why not? Because the Rebbe and his brother, Matra Bilgarai, he was the rabbi in, in the town of Bilgarai, which is in Galicia, also not far from Bells, a famous town. A lot of uh, famous people came from Isaac Beishev, a singer, a great writer, in Warsaw, and later in New York. Uh, he was from Bilgarai. A lot of his writings influenced that. So it was a, it was a prominent place, and he was, a, he was the rabbi there. And... Um, and they, they are without their families. They both remarry. The Belzarebbe remarried, divorced, remarried a third time, and did not have any children. Ramatra um, Bilgarai remarried and had one little child, the current Rebbe of Bells. And Ramatra Bilgarai died quite suddenly and tragically in 1949 at quite a young age, buried in Tveria in the uh, section of the Talmidei Baal Shem Tov. We sometimes tour that area also, the, a uh, forgotten basic forest with loads of history, great place, Tveria in general. And, um, and, the, and he leaves this two-year-old son behind, who's now raised by, his older bro- by, his, by the child's uncle, the Belzareba, for the next seven years. And then the elderly Belzareba passes on, and this nine-year-old child, is, who's the current Rebbe, is the only thing that's left from this great Hasidus. A colleague of mine wrote, researched uh, Bell's Hasidus and its rebirth, wrote a whole thesis on it, and essentially there's there's this gap, uh, both in the time that the Rebbe tried to rebuild it in the 1940s and 50s, when he was already old and to a certain extent weak and sick, and then especially after he passed on, during the years when there was literally no one leading, when you had only the current rabbi who was a child at the time, and who sustained it? How did the Hasidus continue? How was it possible to rebuild? And and really there was a few courageous individuals who are mostly forgotten today, who were Hasidim of the Belzer Rebbe, and it was a group of Hasidim 
almost like a grassroots thing that kept it going during those crucial years that kept the institutions going, that tried to build it up. And, uh, and really it was a group of, of Hasidim uh, who were able to, uh, who were able to do that. So that they, you know, they deserve the credit for it uh, as well. So what happens is, is that, um, is that the, the, like I said, the Rebbe died in 1957. Some of the Hasidim defect to Machnovka, which is a whole other story. That wasn't an easy split. But um, you're talking about in the, the early days in, in Tel Aviv, where the Rebbe had settled down, the, the Rabarla. He settled down in, he settles down in Tel Aviv. And that's where the center of the Hasidis becomes. And uh, ironically, the Rechov Achad Ha'am couldn't get a better name for Bell's Hasidis. And, and they, when the Rebbe needed a daven, they, one of his gabbais would go out into Rechov Achad Ha'am and beg passing by, passerby to come to be a center, to be a tenth man for the minion. That's what Bell's Hasidis looked like in the 1940s and 50s. When they tried opening a Bell's Cheder, they barely got 20 children to be registered in the first year. There was literally nothing left. And, uh, and yet they rebuilt. So the, we come to the next stage of the rebuilding. You know, the, the rabbi tries to send Bachrim to yeshiva. And he doesn't have a yeshiva. So he wants, he wants to rebuild it from the scratch. So he has to have boys who studied in yeshiva. So he would send Polish Bells Bachrim to the Gary yeshiva Svasemis in Yerushalayim. And he would send Hungarian Bells Bachrim to the Dushinsky Yeshiva, also in Yerushalayim. But then he decided to make a revolutionary move. It was the previous Bells of Rebbe, still were in 1950. And he opens a Bells Yeshiva. Now why was it revolutionary? Because not only was it the first Bells Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, it was the first Bells Yeshiva, period. Back in Europe, Bells did not have Yeshivas. It was part of their anti-modernity, part of their reactionary... They didn't want anything that was formal educational institution. That's that's modern. In Galicia, they didn't have yeshivas. You learned in the base medrash. You learned in the shtibel that the Rechaim of Tzans already wrote about it. How they know they don't have yeshivas in Galicia, and uh, and in Bells they didn't have a yeshiva. And here they open a yeshiva on Rehova Grippus. And I do tours, walking tours of the center of Yerushalayim, the area of the Machne Yehuda Shuk. So you walk through the Shuk area, the whole. Oh, it's a whole hip scene, and uh, and you bump into this smack in the center of town, Rehov Agrippus, this Bell's Yeshiva. Like, wow, this this looks out of place. This is a piece of history because that's the beginning of the rebirth. That's the catalyst for the one of the one of the factors of the rebirth of the Bell's Yeshiva is this Yeshiva. The decision taken by Rabbi Labelzer to make a Yeshiva, and that produces the next generation of Hasidim, of Balabatim, of leaders, of rabbis, all come from that yeshiva. The Rebbe himself, the current Rebbe himself, studied for several years at the yeshiva. That's where he begins to start to act as Rebbe. He lived by the yeshiva for a bunch of years. And the previous Rebbe, he saw the yeshiva as the beginning of the new center of the movement. He himself left Tel Aviv in the last weeks of his life and moved into an apartment by the yeshiva. He wanted the base medrash to be there. And this would be the beginning of the rebirth. And that's an important uh, location. When you see the humble beginnings, today we have the big palace um, in the Bell's neighborhood. They have a whole neighborhood, and it's only one neighborhood. There are many, many other places where Bell's can see them live in that huge, beautiful, gorgeous uh, palace 
of a base medrash, massive. The begin humble beginnings was by the Machane Yehuda Shuk and that little uh, yeshiva on Agrippus. Now that's related to the change that I mentioned. You know, the, an innovation was to have a yeshiva. So one of, that was only one innovation. When the Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, Rebbe he arrived in Eretz Yisrael, he, he, and he settled in Tel Aviv, he made some cryptic remark that remains uh, up to interpretation till today, and there are a lot of people who, who gave their different interpretations based on their agenda, and he said something along the lines of, we were mistaken about what we, uh, about what we said in regards to Eretz Yisrael. Now, what did he mean by that? Um, he he definitely did not mean uh, to, that he's that, he, that that he became a Zionist that uh, that uh, that he's that he's adopting Zionism. That's not what he meant. Uh, he meant we were mistaken some about something in regards to Eretz Yisrael about the potential that it had about what was going on there about about something and whatever that was that recognition that there was some sort of mistake that was made uh, pushed him. And even more so, his successor, his nephew, the current Rebbe, to adopt gradually, slowly, over time. There was nothing revolutionary about the process, or sudden, or dramatic. It was done without any fanfare or drama. But slowly, and over time, uh, there was a lot of innovation. There was a certain acceptance of the reality of the state, not being pro-it, not, uh, like I said, not to, not to take, get too carried away with the idea, um, but being open to it, which for Bells was revolutionary, something that were the most extreme anti-Zionist in Europe before the war. Um, the Satmarov learned his anti-Zionism from the Minchas Elazar of Munkach and from the Rebbe Rabbi Sachar Daiv. And here there, there's an acceptance in the post-war era, first by Rabbi Arla of Bells, and then later by his nephew, the current Rebbe, not being anti-elections, and then later actually being involved in the elections and voting in the elections and sending representatives to the Knesset. From being anti-taking money, accepting money from the state, to allowing it and accepting money. And he did this, um, it was a lot of opposition. They were officially part of the Eid HaKaredis, the, uh, the more uh, you know, anti-Zionist or extreme faction within the religious community. And they slowly, over time, uh, separate and, may, and try to maintain an independence. They were closely affiliated with Satmar in the beginning, and they slowly moved away, and they, they condemned him. Now, the current Rebbe was a young Rebbe at the time. He was young. He moved into this position quite young. He grew up into without without having his uncle there beyond the age of nine. and uh, And he takes a lot of heat. And he was with a lot of self-confidence, a lot of strength and fortitude. He went forth and made courageous decisions to move Bells in the, in the direction that he wanted and to introduce change in changes in what was a very traditional, is a very traditional and conservative Hasidus with a lot of hostility from the outside. Now, in that context, it's interesting to know that he was part of the Eid Haredis. Bells was officially part of the Eid Haredis to at least some extent until 1980, which is a long, long time. They're slowly moving away and slowly making innovation and they're slowly in acceptance to the outside world and to modern society in, in, a, in, a, in a certain sense until they finally make the total separation from the Eid Haredis. They set up their own Bezdin and their own Kashrus and their own uh, political organization 
their own bezd and everything, becomes completely independent from them. Again, a lot of opposition from the outside. In 1988, until today, it's very famous in the history of Israeli politics, when uh, Rav Elazar Menachem Shach separated from Agudis Yisrael and made, created his own faction called Degel HaToyra. So it seemed to be that it was a like a, a rebirth of the old Misnagdic Hasidic uh, uh, separation from the 18th century, except for one exception, and that was Bells. The Belzer Rebbe goes along with Rav Shach into this uh, Litvak Degel HaToyra uh, a political party. And there are a few reasons for it. One of the main reasons was is that he was making a statement that, that he had sustained all this opposition within the Hasidic world uh, for all the different uh, moves that he made. And here, he's expressing his independence. You know, I could do what I want. I'll, I'll go along with them. I don't mind. I didn't get much support from you guys here inside the Hasidic world. And uh, that was a very strong statement that he made. Uh, at that time, going along with Rav Shach. He later on, he sent the delegation to the Satmar Rav's uh, kever in, in Kiryas Yael in New York, asking for forgiveness from the Satmar Rav. But even then, he sent the delegation to ask forgiveness from the Satmar Rav who had passed on and would passed away, and not from um, anyone who was alive. So there's, you know, there's certain, uh, a certain sense of friction for many years, but the, the interesting thing about the Bells Hasidus today, led again by the current Bells Rebbe, is that he, uh, is that there's a, a desire for unity. Uh, the, one of the innovations they, uh, that, that was spearheaded was in Kirov. In Kirov organization, even a, a, a TV Kirov channel, Hidabrut. Um, I remember, uh, remembering, I remember that the Bells Rebbe attended the Siyum Hashas um, that Rabovadia presided, Rabovadia Yosef presided over in the Teddy Kolak Stadium in Yerushalayim. The Belzer Rebbe went to the, to the Rabovadia Siyam Hashaz. No one else did that. The Belzer Rebbe was the only one, uh, who did that. Um, so he, he wants unity, uh, he, Shalom with other people, which in itself, if you think about it, uh, is to have, to be, to want unity with other factions and, the Jewish people that are not exactly like you, that itself is an innovation, and, and many would argue this is even downright controversial. So that's, uh, that's another innovation. And then in the areas of, of uh, employment and even college education, use of technology, they um, you know, have, have um, in a certain way moved far from the uh, traditional bells or roots from the pre-war, but in, in many other ways, it it uh, it it has fueled and and helped their sustained uh, growth. And once again, if we look at it today, a large and influential Hasidus once again, uh, like it was before the war, maybe even larger, depends on what the numbers are. But it's important to see the context and not to take these things for granted. So when you look at that palace of bells, it's uh, we have to understand where it came from and appreciate the miracle of the rebirth. So this was Yehuda Gabra with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, and trips to places of interest in Jewish history. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, follow us on J Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.